All right, if you have your Bible, John chapter 11. I got it, thank you. Great job, appreciate y'all leading us in worship. Works out great, I'm afraid if Brittany was up here, we might leave with a baby tonight, so... (laughs) That's a blessing. John chapter 11. Good to be back to a a normal schedule. I know we have been uh, just on a a different schedule here lately with great things. The holidays were upon us, and then we had the Bible conference and great speakers coming in. I know you were blessed by that. I was blessed by that, but it's always good to get back to the normal routine also, at least for me getting to preach. I like it anyway. John chapter 11. We're going to look at the story of Lazarus. With that in mind, I, I'm reminded that there is, there's always troubles in life. There are struggles that are always around us. I, I look out here this evening, and I, I see many of you, we have, we have prayed together about different difficulties, different struggles, different things that you're going through in life, that we're going through in life. Every week we travel back and forth between Good Shepherd and between regional and we see people who they are fighting sickness and illness and disease and their bodies are just failing. And every week we see accidents. There's car accidents and there's these things that we cannot explain, but there's just tragedy all around us. How do we respond to these things in life? How do we deal with the evil around us? How do we deal with the negativity that's all around us? How do we cope when we are in the doctor's office or we get the phone call and there is really bad news on the other end of the line? How do we respond when a loved one, a family member, calls us over and tells us they have been diagnosed with cancer and there's only a a few months left to live? How do we deal when we find out there was an accident and a life was taken, a life that seems to be taken much too soon, or there's a hurricane, a natural disaster? How do we respond to the ultimate, which which is death? When we know and we realize that we serve an all powerful and an all loving God, but yet there is some terrible things that happen. It's the question of theodicy. If God is all powerful, if God is all loving, then why do bad things happen? Or to just put it simply, why God, right? We've all said that before. God, why? Why is this happening? God, why do you allow this to happen? God, if you're in control, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Why did you let this happen to my life or to the life of someone that I love and that I care about so much? We've looked at things like this in the the past, and we talk about how the church, we come together many times, and we talk about the power of prayer, and we talk about the power of faith. But the reality is that there are times that we pray and we have faith, but yet the answer is not what we would like it to be. There are times that we seek God, and we seek God earnestly in the fullness of faith, but yet it seems like God does not hear our prayers. I'm reminded that in the Psalms, there are about 65 Psalms that are called Psalms of lament, Psalms of protest, Psalms of complaint about the incoherence in the world around us. 
And there's a time to get up and sing the happy songs that we sing and to rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. But there's also a time to look and to say, God, I just don't understand. God, I'm going to be honest, I don't get this. God, I'm hurting, my family's hurting, there's trials, there's tribulations all around us. And God, I know that you are in control, and because of that, I'm just at a loss right now. You see, when we avoid these deep areas, we're not being genuine. We're not being real. And and I think for too long, the church has come together, and we put all our problems to the back burner. And we put our smile on, even if it might be a fake smile, and we pretend like everything is fine in life. But let me just remind you, God does not need to be shielded from your pain. God can handle it. You don't have to go to God and pretend like everything's fine or think that if you go to him and you're honest, that God cannot handle that because God can't handle that. And so we're going to look in John chapter 11 and My plan was to get through the entire text, but we're just not going to. So it's going to be uh, a week, two weeks. I don't know how long we'll be in John 11, but there's there's just too much and it's too rich to just go through quickly. But I want you to notice as we read through it, the title, the, the theme of it, if you were to ask me what is, the, what is the, the summary of John 11, the summary would be love, death, and the glory of God. We see love, we see death, and we see the glory of God. Jesus is coming up, he's coming to the cross near, in fact, in uh, the Gospel of John, this is the seventh miracle. It is the climax You might argue if it's his greatest miracle, but it is the miracle that both friends and foes alike would never forget because it was so large. Look at John 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now now notice this. Lazarus is only mentioned in John chapter 11 and in John chapter 12. In fact, in the Bible, there's nowhere that Lazarus speaks. Lazarus does not open his mouth. He's not recorded in Scripture. But yet, despite this, we know that Lazarus was very close to Jesus. They are close friends. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they are very well acquainted with Jesus. They have a deep relationship. There's an intimacy between this family and between Jesus. Lazarus, the name means God is my help. Now that would mean something big here in a few verses, wouldn't it? It means God is my help. Lazarus has been close to Jesus He's probably one of his best friends, but I want you to notice the Bible says that Lazarus becomes ill. Lazarus becomes deathly ill. Lazarus is very sick. It's in John chapter 9 that the disciples are walking, and they see a a man with an illness, and what do they say? Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? And so we might ask the same thing. We might say, who sinned? Who's at fault here? Is it Lazarus? Is it the sisters? Is it his family? But I want to remind you, the Bible teaches that just because there is sickness, just because there is disease, just because there are trials or tribulations, it does not mean that God is punishing. It does not mean that God has rejected you. It does not mean that you have done anything in the world wrong. You see, we must be reminded that we 
and the ones that we love are not exempt from the tragedies of this world. The presence of pain and suffering in the lives of believers reminds us that Christians do not experience, do not have different experiences in life, but rather they experience life differently. Christians do not have different experiences in life, but rather they experience life differently. Our hope in Jesus does not insulate us from the difficulties of life, but it does provide a way through and beyond them. God can and he does use the difficult times in our life to bring glory to himself. Look at verse 2. It says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus. Now, the only reason we stop here is because it's interesting, because the story is getting placed in a context. He says, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, and then verse 2, by the way, Lazarus is the brother of Mary who anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. What's interesting, this has not happened yet. It happens in the next chapter. This happens in chapter 12. And so what this tells us is that in the day of the early church, word has spread about what Mary has done. Mary has a reputation around town, and her reputation has spread. It's gone all over the community. It's gone all over about how much she loves Jesus. This woman loves Jesus. This woman adores Jesus. This woman worships Jesus. This woman makes the sacrifice for Jesus. And this is the woman who is going through troubles. This is the woman who is going through problems. This is the woman who has this illness in her family. It's a good woman. It's a godly woman. It is a devoted woman. You see, I just can't help but think there are times in my life and I believe that God should shelter me from tough times. You ever feel that way? We go through life and maybe we believe, God, I'm trying to serve you. God, I'm trying to honor you. I'm faithful to church. I'm giving money. I'm doing all these things that I ought to be doing. God, you need to shield me from the tragedies of life. But that doesn't happen. And many of you know that. Look at verse 3. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus was across the Jordan. He's probably around 20 miles east of Bethany. And he receives a message, and I want you to notice it's a very short message. It's a very simple message. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. The message is from Mary and Martha. And they send the message, and notice they do not even mention Lazarus by name. Th that shows us the relationship between Jesus and Lazarus. It's just simply, Lord, the one that you love. And Jesus would know who that is. The one whom you love, Lord, he's sick. Lord, the one whom you love, he is ill. Lord, the one whom you love is not doing well. Now, when, when the word love, and this will come back in a moment. The word love here is the word phileo. Lord, the one whom you phileo is ill. What this word means in the Greek language is it means there is a deep friendship. It means there is a deep loyalty. 
Lord, your deep friend, the one you are loyal to, the one that you love, the one that you care about, Lord, he is ill. Lord, he is not doing well. And so imagine, if you will, these sisters are at home, and Lazarus gets sick, and he's getting worse, he's getting worse, he's getting worse, and all of a sudden they begin to think to themselves, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in this situation? And maybe Mary says, you know what we've got to do? We've got to get Jesus. We know the healer. We know the one who can fix this situation. He has healed others. He has the power. He has the authority. All that we've got to do is get word to Jesus. I want you to notice they have a good plan. They're not, we read other miracles in the Bible, they, they take things in their own hands. That's not what these sisters are doing. Immediately, the Bible leads us to believe that they sinned for Jesus. There's a problem, and when they have a problem, they go directly to Jesus. Amen? That's what we're to do, right? When we have a problem, when we have a difficulty, we take it to the Lord. And so these women are living in the will of God. They're acting in the will of God. There's a tragedy in their life. And so immediately they send this message to Jesus. And notice in the message, they do not request Jesus to come, but it is certainly implied. It's implied that Jesus will get this message and he will come immediately and he will heal Lazarus. The expectation would be that Jesus would come and make everything right. Think about the other miracles, if you will. Can you think of times where Jesus did not act immediately? That's the common way, isn't it? There's a problem and Jesus acts there's the woman who comes with a child who is sick, and Jesus moves. There's a woman who comes up with an issue of blood. Jesus stops and heals the woman. Jesus is in the business of bringing healing. And so the expectation is Jesus will hear this request, and immediately he will come. It goes on in, in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he sends back a message, and the message is, this illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, here's the timing, okay? The messenger is sent on day one. The messenger leaves Bethany goes out some 20, 30, 40 miles, finds Jesus. Jesus gives the message. The message is this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Takes the message. The messenger comes back, okay? Jesus waits another day, and on the fourth day, Jesus comes. Lazarus died on day one. When the messenger leaves Bethany, that is when Lazarus dies. He passes away. The messenger comes back on day two, and the messenger comes back with this message. Imagine that you are Mary or Martha, and this is the message that you hear from Jesus. The message is, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. That makes no sense, does it? Lazarus is dead. He's been dead well over a day. They sent for hope. Jesus is the hope. 
Jesus does not come back. The messenger comes back and brings a message that says this does not lead to death. I, I just can't help but think that these women stare at the messenger and they are dismayed and they're disillusioned. What are you talking about? Jesus didn't even come. He, he stayed. He, he, didn't, he didn't come with you. He's not behind you. He's not, he's not traveling this way right now. He sent the message that said it does not lead to death. Listen, Lazarus is already dead. He's already dead. And so they have to be at a point in their life where they're asking, why? How could this happen? What does this mean? And their faith has to be shaken a little bit. Can't you imagine? Wouldn't your faith be shaken a little bit? And, and the message is, it's for the glory of God. It comes up over and over again. It's for the glory of God. Do you know that Isaiah 43, it says that we were created for God's glory? That's why we were made. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. So he says, it will not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God. Now look at verse 5, because you've got to catch this. One of the, one of the biggest points of the passage <clears throat> Verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 5 is simple. Jesus loved Mary, Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Lazarus. Now remember, a moment ago, we looked at the word phileo. What did it mean? Friendship, right? You're with me. It meant a deep friendship. It meant a deep loyalty. They say, Jesus, the one whom you love, you're friends with, you're loyal to, he is ill. But now, in verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And it changes from the word phileo to the word agape. The word agape is the divine love. It's a love that is not based upon conditions. It's unconditional. It is the purest form of love that is free from desire or expectations. It's the love that loves regardless of flaws and shortcomings in others. It's the love that seeks the very best for the object of the love. And so it says that Jesus loved this family with a deep divine love. And then verse 6, what is the first word? I looked in about 10 different translations. All but two, the first word in verse 6 is the word so. Now, if you have the message or the King James, it doesn't say so. If you have the new King James, it does, but the old King James does not. It should say so because it connects the two. Listen to what it says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because Jesus loved Mary and Martha, he did something. Because his love was so genuine, so divine, and so real, he did something. Now, phileo love would lead us to run to Bethany and prevent Lazarus from dying, correct? 
That's what we would think would happen. We would run to Bethany. What should Jesus do? He should run to Bethany. He should make sure that Lazarus does not die. But Jesus does not love with a phileo love. He loves with an agape love. An agape love means that he knows what is best. You see, there are times in life that we just see the piece of the puzzle. The Lord sees the whole puzzle. He sees every bit of it. And so verse 5 and verse 6, it says that Jesus loved with such a deep love. He loved Mary and Martha. And because of that, he delayed two days before going to Bethany. He does the exact opposite of what we would expect him to do. Why does he wait? Why does he delay? Why does he not go immediately to Bethany? I believe he waits so that God may be glorified. He waits so that God may be glorified. You see, the delay ensured that Lazarus was dead. He was long dead. No one can misinterpret the miracle and say he wasn't dead. He was just resuscitated. In this culture, they had the belief that after someone passed away for three days, the spirit would linger around the body. For three days, the spirit would linger around the body, hoping to enter back into the body and come back to life. But after three days, the spirit would vanish, and then the person was truly considered dead. And so Jesus waits so that day one passes, day two passes, day three passes, until it comes to day four so that everybody will know that Lazarus is dead. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's truly dead. There's no question about it. Lazarus is dead. And the reason that Jesus waited is because he loves Mary, he loves Martha, he loves Lazarus. And this is going to be one of the examples so that God is glorified in a big way. Do you realize that God can use bad situations to bring glory to himself? I think of of Joseph. The Bible says Joseph was thrown into a hole in the ground. He was sold as a slave. He was in prison. But God used all of that to set him up in high position. And in Genesis chapter 50, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It was bad. It was a bad situation, but God used it for good. The best example is, of course, on the hill of Golgotha, as that cross was raised up, and Jesus shed his blood, and it seemed as though the enemy had won. But the Bible goes on to tell tell us in Colossians 1 that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Even when there are tragic times in life, God can be glorified. Now listen, let me tell you what I, what I don't believe. I don't believe it's one of these things that we, we look at and we, we look at the tragedies in our life. Maybe you've had some deep tragedies. And you begin to think that God orchestrated this tragedy in order for him to be glorified. Let me, let me remind you, illness and cancer and death, those were not the plan of God. Amen? Sin brings all this into the world. 
When God set this whole thing up, there was no sickness, disease, sorrow, or death. That came from the enemy. If we're going to get mad at somebody for all this crud around us, let's get mad at the devil, okay? He's the one that brings this on us. It's not God. I don't believe that God is saying, let me give you this, this tragedy in your life so I can be glorified. That's not the God that we serve. But we do serve a God who can take the tragedies of Satan the terrible things of the enemy, and he can bring good out of the most terrible of situations. And so that's what we see with the cross. That's what we see with Joseph. That's what we see in so many testimonies that you could stand up and share. We hear them all the time about how people were at the lowest point possible, but God intervened and did a mighty work. Let's keep moving. We're running out of time. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Notice there's the devil. Then after this, he says, we must go now and we must go quickly. Jesus is not moved by external forces, but he is moved by the will of God. And so when the time comes for him to move, he's not going to stay around and hold back. He's going to move. Look at verse 8. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? They begin to protest. Right before our story in chapter 10, verse 31, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. To go back to Judea, it means that there is danger. To go back to Judea, it means that they're walking in to the circle of death. But Jesus says, let's go, boys. It's time to go. It's time to go back into Judea. When you look in the Gospel of John, you see that in chapter 8, the authorities tried to arrest him. In chapter 7, they wanted to kill him. In chapter 8 again, they tried to stone him. In chapter 10, they tried to arrest him. And then again in chapter 10, they tried to stone him. And so to go back to Judea means there's going to be trouble. And so the disciples say, wait a minute, Lord, are you sure this is where we should go? Lord, are you sure this is the place that we need to go back to? Look at verse 9. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. He says, we've got to go. Lazarus is, is resting. Lazarus is asleep. Lazarus is taking a nap. Now listen, do you realize that to Jesus, that's all that Lazarus is doing? That's all he's doing. Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus knows that he's going to find Lazarus, and he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. And so when he looks at Lazarus and he thinks about his condition, his situation, it's nothing more than a sleep. The Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Death was swallowed up on the cross. And so here's what it, it, it points to for us. There's many in here, and you've got people that you love and you care about on the other side. They've already passed away. And you, you hurt because of that. I was talking to someone 
just the other day, and they were talking about the, the loss of their spouse about a year ago, and there was so much pain still in her heart. I, I don't know the pain ever goes away, but I, I will tell you this. The Bible tells us the death that hurts us, it's just asleep. Now, for Lazarus, it was, it was asleep for four days. It, it may be longer than that until you see your loved one again. It may be four months, it may be four years, it may be 40 years, it may be, I don't know how long it'll be. But because of Jesus, we don't have to fear death. There's more to it. There's more to the story. And so he's talking to his disciples and he says, listen, guys, Lazarus is asleep. I've got to go wake him up. That's how small death is to Jesus. That's how big God is. Death is nothing more than a rest. It's nothing more than a a little nap. Look at verse 14. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Notice Jesus says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. He says, Lazarus has died, and because of you, I'm glad. You see, again, I I believe love comes up. Jesus loves his disciples, and this is going to be an experience that will grow their faith. This is going to be one of those experiences that they will never forget. For the rest of their lives, they will remember walking to Bethany and finding a man who has been dead, and Jesus bringing that man back to life. Let me just remind you, Jesus is focused much more on the spiritual world than the physical world. And all the pain, all the sorrow, all the the tribulation is worth it if it means that their faith will be strengthened. And so this episode, this encounter, what's it going to do? It's going to strengthen the faith of Mary, of Martha, of Lazarus, of the disciples, and of everyone who sees this or hears about it for the rest of reality. And it will bring glory and honor to God in ways that we cannot even imagine. What is the text about? It's about love. It's about death. And it's about the glory of God. Now let's close it up, and I want you to think about this. How do we apply this to our life? Maybe you've been through something, and it's just difficult. Maybe you're going through something, and it's, it's tragic. It's difficult. You don't understand it. Just remember that God is working. God's not done. God is not checked out. God is not in heaven just scratching his head and saying, I don't know what to do next. God is active and God is working. We're to look for ways in life that we can glorify God. And while we're doing that, we're to look for ways that our faith may be strengthened. It was all about faith. It was all about the faith of these disciples and of these women as they saw that Jesus was working. And our lives... We're to glorify God in every single way possible. And the way that we glorify God is by being a people of faith, a people of strong faith. You know what I found? I have found that it is easy to have a strong faith when everything's going good. 
isn't it? When everybody's healthy in your life, and there's money in the account, and the bills are getting paid, and your job's going well, when everything's going well, it is easy to stand and have a strong faith. But you know what glorifies God? When things are just tragic, and you still have a strong faith. When things are tough, and people look at you, and they say, man, how do you even move on from that? How do you keep going? How do you keep pushing? And they look at you, and you're just praising God. You know what that does? That glorifies God. We're to be a people that we, we honor God, and we have faith, and we glorify him in the good times, but we do the same thing in the difficult times also. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for this night. God, I thank you for these who have come out on a Sunday evening, God, and just have a heart, God, to dive into your word, to study, and to learn about you. Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the reminder that, God, we are not insulated from hard times. Hardships will come on our life. Lord, sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes we don't understand. Just like these sisters, God, when we read that Jesus waited. He waited several days before he came to Bethany. Lord, there are times in life that we don't understand why you don't intervene. But, Lord, I pray that we will be a people of faith and we will trust you. Lord, we know that you're working. We know that death and disease and cancer and sickness and tragedies, God, they are not of you. Lord, you're working to correct all of this. That's why you sent your son. Lord, I pray that you will give a peace to those who are, are struggling because they have a loved one on the other side. Lord, I pray they will be reminded that that is nothing more than a, a rest, nothing more than a nap. I'm not trying to belittle it, God, but compared to eternity and the power that you have, Lord, it's nothing more than a, a nap. And so, Lord, I pray there will be a, a peace, God, the hope that comes from you, the joy that comes from you, that they will be reunited again. Lord, I pray as good times come in our lives and as difficult times in our lives come, God, that we will honor you and that we will glorify you in all ways possible, that we will point to you, to the world around us. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Charles. Great job. Don't forget, <clears throat> if you've not uh, signed up for the uh, CDs or DVDs, you need to do that as soon as possible. We'll be making those this week. Some of them already been made. Remember Brother Alan Vushonic in the Dominican Republic. The office closed tomorrow. And then uh, next Sunday night, we start at 5 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock because we'll be outside and uh, hopefully weather permitting and all. Uh, and we'll be dedicating the new preschool and children's building. It's an exciting time. Hope you'll be here for that. Then afterward, we'll come inside for some soup and sandwiches, and we get to uh, shower Brittany and throw water on Case. So it's going to be a good night next Sunday night, uh, January 21st. And then what a blessing. Where, where's Ms. Lena at? Ms. Lena, Lena Cooper, where's she at? Right there. It's great to have Ms. Lena. We've been praying for her. She had a, had a stroke and still got a few problems there, but uh, she is here tonight. We praise the Lord for that and uh, just thankful to see you. Amen. 
And then uh, today I got an email from Janelle and George. Uh, they're, they're in Nashville visiting his family and had freezing rain and everything. And George went out to the car and, and he fell and broke four ribs. And so uh, they'll be driving home tomorrow. But uh, Janelle had foot surgery and her foot's not real good either. So I don't know whether George is going to work the pedals and Janelle do the steering or I don't know, but you pray for them as they come home tomorrow, uh, that they get here safely and everything, all right? All right, praise the Lord. has it been a great day today? I tell you, God has been so good today. Uh, would you stand together, join hands across the aisle, if you would? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good, he's so good to me. Brother Cooper, would you lead us in our closing prayer, please?